Hey, good morning, Northridge. How are we doing? Good. <laughs> hey, my name's Jason. Uh, I'm here from South Bend, Indiana. Uh, I'm the founder and the pastor of a community there called South Bend? Do we talk last time I was here? Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm the founder and the pastor of a community there called South Bend City Church. And I got to be here earlier this year for the first time. And I'm so glad to be back with you guys this New Year's Eve weekend. This is really special. Thanks for, thank you. So it's New Year's Eve weekend. You guys are the brave ones who got up early with a late night ahead. I'm proud of you. I'm curious, um, like, if anybody's doing the New Year's resolution things. Like, just yell if anybody has any resolutions. Do you have any, just shout, make some noise. Anybody? Ten of you have New Year's resolutions. Okay, so of the ten of you who have New Year's resolutions, will you just shout if anybody has, like, a financial resolution? Anybody? A few of you have a financial resolution, okay? Does anybody have, like, a social media resolution? Something like... I'm gonna spend less time on social media or I'm gonna stop trolling people on social media or any, anybody have any of that? None of you. Maybe you should think about that. Anybody have um, a health, diet, fitness, gym, anything like that? You're gonna start a new pattern there in the new year. Anyone? Okay, there it is, interesting. Is anybody playing that thing where you're like, my resolution is I'm not gonna have a resolution because I'm just fine the way I am and I'm tired of the world and the internet telling me I'm not. Yeah, a few of you out here. Okay, that's good. That's good. In 2017, going into this past year, uh, I had a list of goals and resolutions for the year, and I did the thing that you're supposed to do. I actually like wrote them down, and I put that they were concrete, they were measurable, all the right things, and I put them on my bathroom mirror so I would be confronted with them every morning and every evening. First thing in the morning, last thing of the day, here are my goals. I had some fitness stuff, some diet stuff, I had some financial stuff, I had spiritual stuff, I had work stuff, all there on my list. And like six months into the year, I took that darn list off the mirror and I threw it away because it wasn't doing me any good. I was like six months in and everything had just kind of fizzled out. All those goals, all those resolutions, like they didn't have much life or energy to them. And I was just sort of tired of this ruse where I walked in every day and stared at these things that I wasn't connecting to anymore. Uh, there was one thing on that list that six months into the year was more full of life and energy than it had been when the year started. And I'm gonna get to that later. Uh, but we're talking about that this weekend because I think New Year's resolutions, New Year's expectations, all of that's really important for the day that we're in right now, today. Uh, and even if you don't have actual resolutions, even if you haven't specifically thought about it, we all have a vision for the year ahead. And if you think, no, I don't have a vision for the year ahead, well, that's also a certain kind of vision for the year ahead, right? Like, we all have some kind of picture of the future, whether we realize it or not. And we're going to talk about that today for a little bit. The thing about a, a vision for the year ahead, the thing about goals and expectations and resolutions is uh, that before you even get to that point, before you write them down or create that picture of the future in your head, something else has already happened whether you realize it or not, which is that somewhere inside you, you've decided what's possible and what's not. Right? I mean, before you even get to that point where you create a picture of the future, somewhere, maybe subconsciously, maybe unknowingly, you've just decided there are certain things that are possible that are eligible in the year ahead. And there are other things that aren't. And I want to talk about like how we learn to see the future, how we learn to think about the future. Uh, and to do that, I want to go back to the Christmas story like one more time. Are you guys Christmased out or can you go with me? Yeah, a couple of you are ready to go with me. 
These are my people right here. Thank you, guys. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into the scriptures a little bit, and we're going to see where God takes us today. So if you want to, uh, bow your head with me, and then we'll get into it. Loving God, I'm, I'm really grateful that we're here today, because it's the end of one year, and we're on the threshold of what's next. And I know that for some, uh, 2017 has beat them up, wounded them, wore them out. And they're ready to be done with 2017. And I'm, I'm really grateful that uh, you give us another day, another moment. And uh, for those that have that, that experience of the year behind them, God, I pray that you would just lift their head today. Um, pull back their shoulders, help them get hopeful again. Find some faith again. Make that a gift that you give them today. For those who are excited, who are ready to celebrate, uh, ready to have a good party tonight, I pray that you would take that joy and that hope and you would just uh, take it deeper and that you would create possibilities for 2018 that we didn't even know about until you spoke to us. And we pray through Christ. And we all said, amen. amen. Well, let's get into it, guys. Uh, let's look at the story. So this is Matthew chapter two. Technically, this is kind of like a little bit after the Christmas story, but you'll recognize it as part of how we think about Christmas. This is Matthew chapter two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These are the magi, the wise men, the, the three kings, right? They come from the far east. They're looking for Jesus. Now, I actually have like this deep attachment to these guys because of a childhood Christmas experience that was part of our family Christmas every year. So our little church in Indiana, our little faithful church that I grew up in, we did this big thing every Christmas season, and you guys wouldn't know anything about this, but we did this big thing where for two weekends we put on this live living Christmas show, and it was amazing, and it would blow your mind. I'm just kidding. Yeah, by the way, your whole glory of Christmas thing, like down in Indiana, like I'm an airplane ride away from here, right, but down in Indiana, people in my church heard I'm preaching at Northridge, and they come up and they say, have you heard about the glory of Christmas? And they come up here from my church to your church on Christmas, and they won't shut up about your church when they're at my church. So thanks a lot for that. No, good job. Good job there. So the church I grew up in, we did our own thing like that. So our version was we'd bring everybody in. Like We had thousands over a couple of weekends. We'd bring them into our sanctuary or auditorium, and we set a little opening scene. It was brief. It was just a few minutes. And then we'd file everyone out of the auditorium, and they'd get divided up into family groups of about 40 people. And we were about to take them on an actual sort of journey where we had turned the woods next to our church into a sort of condensed version of the walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem with all these scenes that were staged, right? So you walk out of the auditorium and you get grouped into families of about 40 and you're met by a member of our church in a sort of tragic attempt at a Hebrew costume, right? And they're there and they're, they're sort of giving you the orientation. They're saying, you know, we've gotta go from Nazareth to Bethlehem because we've gotta do the census and you get papers with a Hebrew name and a Hebrew lineage and a job. And so we line the family up and they walk out of the church and they're on the parking lot road there and they stop in Nazareth and they meet Joseph and Mary who are in Nazareth also getting ready to make the journey. And uh, when I, I was young, by the way, I, I wasn't old enough to be entrusted to lead a family, so I had to find a way to make myself useful in my little Hebrew boy costume while my parents were doing important things like leading families on the tour, right? So I was creative and bored, and so I made this deal because there's a station right after Nazareth where we had roaming guards, and these are like the big, young, strong men in our church. 
So not me, obviously. And so we put these guys on, on real horses, you know, and they're, they're kind of menacing and they harass the family a little bit and check their papers. And I, I strike up this plan with the Roman guards, which is little Jason's gonna sneak into each family as they come by. And then you'll find me, right? And you'll yank me out of the line and you'll say, who's this? Is this a spy? And I'll be like, I'm not a spy. You know, like they'll take little Jason. And then they would literally drag me, like literally drag me kicking and screaming back behind their little guard shack that we had set up. And they took this huge metal shovel that they used to clean up after the horses, if you know what I mean. They took this huge metal shovel, and I'm hiding behind the shack, and the whole family had seen me dragged behind it, and they'd slam the back of the, the shack as loud as possible with the shovel, and I'd scream this blood-curdling cry like they were beating me. Then I was told we couldn't do that because it's a family event. But a little later, I got old enough and I got to lead families through this thing. And so we'd take them on these stops on the journey through the woods. And we had a shepherd station where we had these real sheep, you know. And we had this uh, very sort of rickety deer stand up in a tree with angels like in, in bed sheets or whatever, you know. We had these floodlights that would hit them and they'd sing an out-of-tune version of the glory. And then we'd take them to the tax stand and we'd haggle with the tax collector. And we'd go into this little town of Bethlehem that we'd set up with merchant booze and fire pits with animals roasting over them. And I'd tell the family, I'm going to go see if I can find a place for us to stay, right? And I sort of make myself disappear for a little bit and go warm up, and then I'd come back out with my lantern, and I'd walk through the village and call my family's name, and I'd take them in to the innkeeper's place, and we'd talk for a bit, which was really a staging position while we waited for the family ahead of us to get done with the Jesus thing, right? And then we'd get called into the manger when a little girl said, Father, a baby's been born, and we'd go in there, and one of these elders in our church, this dear old man named Dick Seckerly, would uh, tell us the story of Jesus there at the manger, and we'd see baby Jesus, and one of the years an animal in the manger scene was in heat, so we had to take care of that. <laughs> but this is the thing that we did. So this is a huge part of my childhood experience of Christmas. But the, the reason I'm talking about it is because these guys were a big part of it too. Right after the Roman guards, before we got to the shepherds, we had the Magi. And as a kid, I remember them because everybody else was in these kind of dull Hebrew-looking costumes. But we had these bright, colorful clothes from the, these strange men from the Far East. And by the way, we're talking about modern-day Iran or Iraq. That's probably like what, what these people represent here, they're coming from the far east, from a place where they do pagan astrology, and they have like jewels on them, and they had camels, and I remember these guys. And the, like, the thing is, like, I know this story really well, and maybe you do too. Like, you've been to the glory of Christmas, or you've read the Bible a little bit, or you've, you've heard the Christmas story once or twice, and you know about the Magi, and here's the problem. This is one of those moments in the Bible where if you know where the story's going, you might miss what it's doing. There's a bunch of moments in the Bible where if you know where the story's going, you might miss what it's doing. And so in order to get our hands on what the scripture's doing with these guys, what are they doing in the story? In order to get our hands on that, I, I wanna ask you like, to forget that you know where it's going and let's just try to get into the experience of these people for a moment, okay? So to help us do that, let's just do a bit of an imagination. Uh, if you want to, close your eyes with me. We're just gonna do a little hypothetical imagination for a little bit. So everybody close your eyes. And I just want you to imagine that from the time you were born until today, imagine that you have never in your life seen an iPhone. Imagine you've never seen an Android device, which might be a better world, but anyway, imagine, sorry, imagine you've never uh, looked at a computer screen or a TV. Imagine you've, um, you've never been in a car with an illuminated dash. 
Imagine that you've never even seen a light bulb. In fact, that in your entire life when the sun has gone down, really like the brightest thing that you've seen are some flickering candles or lanterns. Right? I mean, the lumens are turned way down on your life and experience, right? So you're that person and you haven't seen um, anything that bright or illuminated in your entire life. But then each night, you take that little lantern which can barely cast light beyond your front toes and you walk out of your home or your dwelling and you look up and you see this. You can open your eyes now. And it's a simple point, but I think something really important happens when we, we empathize with these ancient people, right? And you imagine, like, like, how compelling would that night sky be? I mean, that, that would be like the best thing on TV, right? I mean, it would be the most compelling, gripping, arresting thing. Of course you would look up, right? Like, of course that would have your attention. That would be, be the most engaging thing happening once the sun goes down. It would have your attention. And here's the thing about being a human being. Whatever has your attention will eventually become how you find your way, right? Whatever has your attention will eventually become how you find your way. So you give your attention to this thing, like the stars in the sky, and pretty soon they become how you find your way through the world, how you make sense of the world. And so for many ancient people, astrology becomes how they find their way. And by the way, let's not just like make this an ancient thing. You and I do this too. Whatever has our attention will become how we find our way, won't it? Like if the numbers are the only thing that have your attention, the spreadsheets, the dollars, the bank account, right? If, if that's the thing that has your attention, it will eventually become the orientation of your life, right? You will move your life into alignment with those numbers, right? And you'll sacrifice other things to honor that thing that you're paying attention to. It's the money. It could be the fact that like you just live in a world where all you see is beautiful people. They're all over your feed, Never mind that they've been photoshopped and Instagrammed and all that, right? You just see beautiful people with perfectly white teeth and perfect bodies, and you pay attention to that. Your eyes are on it every day. So you begin to orient your life. You begin to spend your money. You begin to give your time so that that's the thing that, that sort of pulls you forward in life, right? Whatever has your attention will become how you find your way. The stars have the attention of these ancient peoples, and the stars, for many of them, become how they find their way. In fact, it's not just an amateur thing. Some of them become professionals, and that's what these magi are. Magi, by the way, same root as magic. These, these are pagan astrologers from far away who are professionals at watching the stars to try to figure out how to move through the world. What's happening in the world? What's the nature of God or the gods in the world? That's what they're paying attention to. And it's interesting then, uh, because the scripture seems to be aware that the way that God speaks to the Israelites, there's an awareness that this is, first of all, true, that whatever has your attention will become how you find your way. And there's awareness that this could be a problem. So, so watch this, watch how the scriptures, watch how God speaks about this relationship to the stars. First of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, if a man or woman living among you in one of the towns the Lord gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God in violation of his covenant, and contrary to my command has worshiped other gods, bowing down to the gods or to the sun, or the moon, or the stars of the sky, and this has been brought to your attention, then you must investigate it thoroughly. If it's true, and it's been proved that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, then take the man or the woman who's done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. 
Now, in case that's not clear enough, there's a commentary on the book of Deuteronomy. This is an ancient Jewish rabbinical commentary called Deuteronomy Rabbah, and here it's even made more clear what's being said. The Torah is not in heaven. The Torah, like the way of God, the rule of God, you can't find it in heaven, nor with those who occupy their time in studying the heavenly bodies. Or how about Jeremiah? Jeremiah says it like this. Don't learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified of them. Or better yet, Isaiah. Now watch this, because in Isaiah, God gets sarcastic. If God is getting snarky with you, you are on thin ice, right? Listen to this. God gets sarcastic. He says, keep on then. Go on with your magic spells and your many sorceries. All the counsel you've received has only worn you out. Go ahead, he says. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Go ahead. Let them save you from what's coming upon you. Surely they, the ones who pay attention to the stars, they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. In other words, we don't do stars all over the scriptures, deeply in the consciousness of the Jewish people, and the way that God has spoken to them, it's very clear. We don't do stars. God doesn't do stars. And if you find people doing stars, don't expect God to show up, unless you expect him to show up with a little bit of wrath. We don't do stars. God doesn't do stars. And if you find people doing stars, don't expect God to show up. Now forget that you know where the story with the Magi is going. Like forget about that for a second, okay? Just like suspend that knowledge. Pay attention to what the story is doing because this is a story about the wrong people from the wrong place doing the wrong thing. And in this moment, you have every reason to believe that God will not show up for them. Make sense? Like, these are not the people, they're not coming from the place, they're not doing the thing that you do if you expect God to show up. This is a story about the people, the places, and the times where we don't expect God to show up. Where you've got all the reason in the world, where it's quite rational to decide that God is not going to show up. All the evidence is very clear, God is not going to show up. And we do this all the time. We look at people or places or spaces in our lives or in the world, and we say there's plenty of evidence that says God is not going to show up here. Now, maybe you don't use the God language when you do this. I don't always use the God language when, when I do this. Sometimes I just give up on someone or something or some part of my life or some place. You ever do that? It's the marriage. Like, you've just, you've just given up. For a couple of decades, marriage was basically just parenting for the two of you, right? And that was at like the center of your relationship and now the kids are gone and you're confronted with what remains and it feels like the answer is not much. And so you just sort of made peace with it. You've kind of given up on it being beautiful or romantic or deep or intimate again, right? You've just sort of made peace with it. You've given up on that better vision for your marriage. You might not have said that God's given up on you, but if you've given up, isn't that the same thing as saying that God has given up? In your belief, if you've given up, isn't that the same thing as saying, this is not a place where God will show up. This is not a place where anything good or beautiful or new or unexpected will happen. Maybe it's uh, your friend uh, who's an addict. And you've been through cycle after cycle with them. And there were seasons where you prayed and you stayed close enough to be there when you could help. And I know you can't fix this on your own. I get that, right? 
But at some point, it's like, like how many cycles can we go through where it's just time to say all the evidence says this is not getting better? So you stopped praying and you stopped dreaming. And when you imagine 2018, that person healing or growing whole is like nowhere a part of that dream because why would it be? You've got all the evidence that says God's not showing up. They're the wrong person doing the wrong thing for too long. What about you? Maybe it's not somebody else or someplace else. What, it, what about you, some part of your life, some habit that you're stuck with, some pattern that you can't break out of, some place you keep failing and you resisted it for a little while, but honestly, now it's just like, look, I've got enough history to tell me this is not a place in my life where God will show up. And so your dream for 2018 doesn't have any aspirations for that part of your life. You just assume that the way things have been is the way things will be. And you don't have any vision for that anymore, right? Maybe it's your home, your neighborhood, your school, or maybe it's just the way the whole world has come at you in 2017. How many days can you wake up and check the headlines and see palpably the world breaking before you just say, this is just the way things are, this is the way things will be. The story is not going anywhere good and I'm not expecting anything to happen in 2018. There's nothing good that I can be a part of in 2018. And so this cynicism just sort of grips you, it owns you. This is, this is the moment in the story where you hear about men from the wrong place who are the wrong people, they're pagan Gentile astrologers doing the wrong thing watching the stars and you say, I know where the story's going. Like I know how these stories end. Which is why it should surprise us, it should astonish us that the story actually goes where it goes. So maybe hear this for the first time. I, I know you've heard it before, but maybe you could hear this for the first time when we read in Matthew 2 uh, later in the chapter. After they, the wise men, had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wrong guys from the wrong place doing the wrong thing, the people where you have every reason to believe God's not showing up for them, they end up right there with Jesus. They get to meet Jesus. They get to worship Jesus. They get to go home and tell stories about having been with Jesus. This is a story about a God who is radically indiscriminate about where he will show up. It's like it's begging you to say, you know that place, that person, that part of your life where you've decided nothing's going to happen? Like, think again. Like, reconsider that. Don't shut that down yet. And when you dream about the year ahead, maybe it's time to press into those areas where you've been most convinced that nothing's gonna happen. God's not gonna show up. This is a story about a God who is radically indiscriminate about where he will arrive, for whom he will arrive, because love keeps compelling him to the most hopeless places, the most forgotten people. It's time to reconsider the cynicism that has clouded over our dreams. Maybe 2018, God is like right there, like God is on the edge of God's seat saying, will you dream with me? Will you pray a little more, open yourself up to the possibility that 2018 might look different? I might call you into a surprise, I might want to astonish you. I might wanna do something unexpected. My city, South Bend, Indiana, 
is the kind of place where it's easy not to expect much. Uh, so I grew up in the area since I was 10 years old, sort of outside the city limits. And then when I was in college, I wanted to buy a house, and so I bought a house in the city limits because they were a lot cheaper in the city for a lot of reasons, if you know what I mean. So I've been living in the city of South Bend for over a decade now. And then in the last few years, um, I've been paying closer attention. Uh, city of South Bend has something in, in common with the city of Detroit on a, on a smaller scale, but city of South Bend in the first half of the 1900s was, was economically driven by a car factory, a company called Studebaker Cars. And at their peak, Studebaker Cars employed about 30,000 people in the city of South Bend in a city of 100,000 people. So in the early 1960s, when they literally just, in one day with no notice, just turned the lights off and shut the whole thing down, it's like the lights got turned out on the whole city. And then for the last uh, half century, there are all these marks, all these wounds that the city still carries, the economic difficulty from that time. And there's signs of it in our city that you can see. Like, there's a remnant of the old Studebaker factory. There were 113 buildings, like acres and acres and acres and acres of our city. Now there's a little bit of it left. There's one monstrous building that kind of hulks over the city, this million and a half square feet of industrial concrete, uh, many stories tall that you can see throughout the downtown area, and it, the windows are busted out, and it's dark, and it, it just it casts like a shadow over the city, like literally, like actually literally, because the, the sun has to shine through it to get into the south end of downtown, but also metaphorically, right? So you see that, and you hear the stories, and for decades, our city's been feeling that way. It's, it's easy not to expect much in the city of South Bend. Now, in 2010, this, this thing breaks into my life, which is a picture of the future that I was not expecting. And at that time, what, what, I, what I discovered about that picture of the future that God was stirring up inside me was at some point to be part of a new church in a city somewhere. And so I start like hunting. Spent several years like, what city? You know, like I'm going to all the good ones, right? Like Nashville, Boston, like energetic, vibrant cities, you know, lots of people in their 20s and 30s, lots of innovation and economic energy and new ideas, like all that stuff, right? So I keep poking around. <laughs> And then, like, late in that journey, it's like God grabs me by the shoulders, and he's like, uh, your city. And I'm like, really? Are you sure about this? Can we talk about this, you know? And so for about 36 hours, I'm like, my city? Like, I don't expect much here. And God just, like, convicted me like crazy about that, you guys. And I've thought back on that. It's like, wait, so you're going to plant a church you're gonna invite people into an encounter with God that they don't expect, but you don't even like have the faith to believe that, that, that he could do that in South Bend? Probably better check that, right? There are uh, signs, uh, like I said, of the city of South Bend. Let me show you an old picture. It's actually not that old. Uh, it's a picture from like two years ago in that old Studebaker building. It looks like this. That's the kind of thing that you see and you think, why would I wanna be here, right? The wood floor is buckling, there's metal just hanging from the ceiling, the rails have been busted out, be careful up on the mez balcony there. It just sort of feels like a skeleton or a corpse of a life that used to be there, right? So you see that kind of thing, um, and you just try to forget about it, and you start trying to obey the dream that God's given you, and so you start putting together some people in the city of South Bend. And so we start meeting on uh, Wednesday nights uh, in October of 2016. And we're reading the book of Acts every week. And the reason we're doing that is we're just asking, like, what is a church? Let's get clear on what a church is. So we read the book of Acts every week together. And a couple of things become clear. First of all, a church is nothing more 
and nothing less than the expansion of Jesus' work in the world. It has to be exactly that, right? So by the way, if it doesn't look like Jesus, I don't care what you call it, it's not a church, right? Just, it's just the expansion of what Jesus is doing in the world, Jesus' presence in the world, his good work in the world. So there's that. But the other thing that we kept seeing again and again and again is that in the book of Acts, as the church lives into the life of Jesus, they keep being surprised that the wrong people in the wrong places doing the wrong things are exactly where God is arriving. Uh, in the book of Acts, it's often when you read about Gentiles, uncircumcised people. These are the wrong people who have done the wrong things in the wrong places, and God just keeps arriving, keeps showing up, keeps inviting them in. And I think it's the fact that we spent so long there in that story that we had a little bit of vision to see that maybe that room that you just saw in Studebaker Building 112 didn't have to look like that. So now let me show you what it looks like when our church meets there every week. Yeah, that's that same space. And we've gotten to be in there since July. And I love that picture not just because the Edison bulbs are very hipster. Um, I love that picture because I see those, those people and I know a lot of those stories there. And I'll tell you, like, um, often when I'm with our church on a Sunday or a Tuesday night and I see those people and I hear their stories, I think, I almost missed this. Because I was looking for the obvious place where all the evidence told me that God would show up. Instead of, like, paying attention to the places where nobody would expect that and understanding from the scripture that that's exactly where I should start dreaming. That's exactly what I should start praying for. There's a friend of mine who was in South Bend from out of town. Uh, she was there for a Notre Dame football game. Go Irish. Uh, she was a, that's, okay, that's fair. She was a Georgia fan, and for the record, we lost to Georgia. So there's that. So she's in town for the game, and she sticks around Sunday to come to our church. And because she flew in, she doesn't have a car, so she takes an Uber from her hotel in South Bend to our church in South Bend. And uh, she, she, you know, plugs the address into the, into the app, and so the Uber driver has it. But, like, he's like, are you sure? Because here's the thing about that location. It's literally adjacent to a railroad track, and then next to it's the jail. So you got, you got the railroad track, you got our church, and you got the jail, okay? And it's in that part of town, right? And our little part of the building is being revitalized, but that six-story behemoth that I told you about that still hulks over the city, it still looks the way it's looked for 60 years or whatever. So he's like, are you sure? And she's like, I'm sure that's the right place. And so they go under the railroad tracks and they turn in right by the jail and they snake their way back to our little part of the building that our church meets in. And this, this South Bend guy, this Uber driver says to my friend, he says, nothing happens here. And she's able to say like, don't be so sure, right? Don't be so sure. This is a story about the wrong places and the wrong people even those who have done the wrong things, being candidates for the arrival of God, eligible for the experience of God. And it's begging us in the year ahead of us, like as you dream, as you think, like, like where have you written God off and is the storytelling you think again? I told you there was one resolution that made it for me this year, right? There's one resolution that six months into 2017, nine months in, 10 months in, even though everything else on that list had sort of lost its energy, lost touch in my life, there was one thing that day after day I would wake up and I would feel the life of it, I would feel the energy of it, and the one thing was launch South Bend City Church with grace and peace. Uh, we call ourselves a community of grace and peace. So that was the one thing there. It was the one most outlandish, unlikely thing on my list. It was the one thing that would be really, really hard for me, by the way. This is like the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, guys. 
And yet it was the one thing that had this energy and this life to it that keeps waking me up in the morning. I remember before I, I did this, there was a season in my life where I realized um, it was too easy to go to sleep. And I never stayed awake with dreams. You know that feeling when you lay in bed and you think, man, I wonder what could happen, right? It had been a long time since I'd experienced that. And can I tell you now I have that like almost every single day. Sometimes I stay awake because I'm stressed and we're planning a nonprofit and there's that, you know what I mean? But mostly I stay awake because like I just get to see these incredible stories and I don't want you to miss that. So maybe it's um, somebody in your life or maybe it's a relationship that you have and you have sort of ruled it out. Maybe not actively, not overtly, but the fact is it's, it's no part of your dream for the year ahead. You just sort of embrace the status quo. Maybe it's the way your family operates or you know, your marriage. Maybe it's, maybe it's what your work life is like. You punch the clock, but you don't think of your nine to five or whatever your hours are. You don't think of that as time where you expect God, time where you're looking for the arrival of God. Maybe it's your neighborhood um, where you, know, like you kind of do the thing that a lot of us do, where you just sort of pull in, let the garage door close, walk into your house and sort of ignore what's going on 100 feet away. Why would you get your hands dirty in that? Why would you get involved in that, right? I don't know, we could go on and on. Maybe it's, um, well, I, you know what it is. I think you do. Or if you pray about it and sit with us for a bit, you might. And it might, by the way, just be you. You might have decided, you might have been told you're the wrong person. You're in the wrong place in life. You've done the wrong things. So there's no way that your life is a place where God would arrive. I'm just here to tell you, like, if this story matters for anyone, if it applies anywhere, it applies to you right now. And as we talk about the year ahead. So I want to challenge you, like, go back, like, reevaluate your resolutions. Think about your vision for 2018 and ask yourself, have you left any room for the God who keeps showing up in unexpected places where everyone has written things off? And is it time for you to be the person who believes, who hopes, who dreams, who prays, who has that kind of faith? And by the way, can you imagine what happens when thousands of us dream about 2018, knowing about the God who shows up like that? If you're able, will you stand to your feet and I'll pray for us before we go? And one more note, uh, it's New Year's Eve, rock on. Uh, have a great time tonight, party, celebrate. It's good to be alive, it's good to be you, it's good to be here in this moment because God is here. But just like, let's do it really well and let's do it safely and let's make great decisions and let's make sure that we celebrate tonight in a way that ensures that tomorrow's a really good day too. Sound good? Yes, okay, good, all right. Northers, let me pray for you and then we'll be on our way. Oh, sorry, one more note. I'm sorry, if you, I always forget the mechanics when I'm at other places. If you wanna pray with someone after this service time, there'll be people who would love to pray with you and they'll be at the front of the stage, but let me pray for all of us now. Loving God, I'm so grateful uh, for stories like these peculiar men who come from the East because they followed a star and they, and they found themselves at the feet of Jesus. I'm so grateful for this peculiar story because um, my story is peculiar. All of our stories are peculiar. God, I pray that um, not just with my words, but with your spirit, you would break into our hearts. You would open up our chests. You would lift our heads. You would fill our dreams.
And you would, you would cause us to reconsider whether we have ruled you out in places where you want to show up in 2018. So God, um, as you convict us, also inspire us, God. As you show us the places where we have dreamed too small, give us bigger, better dreams. Teach us to pray. Teach us to press in. And when the, it doesn't happen overnight, I pray that you would uh, help our faith grow even deeper, that we'd go even further with you into the adventure that you're calling us to. God, we don't want small dreams for 2018. We want big, God-sized dreams. We don't want to write you off anywhere in 2018. We want to remember that you show up for the wrong people in the wrong places, doing the wrong things because you love us that much. So uh, this year, we thank you uh, for all that's been. We trust your grace for all the ways that we've fallen short. We trust your healing for all the ways that we've been wounded by what has happened. And we trust your promises for what's to come. We pray these things through Jesus, and we all said, amen. amen. Thanks for letting me be with you, Northridge. Happy New Year.